good relationships and a full understanding of the gospel is that it's not only about our relationship with God, though that's obviously absolutely central, but it's also about our relationship with other people and our relationship with the wider natural world. Hello and welcome to the Together podcast, a conversation about faith, justice and how to change the world. I'm Dan and today I'm joined by Kat and Chris. Hi guys. Hello. It's February, which means two things. One, we are roughly seven or eight percent through 2020 already. Wow. Thanks. Nice. Got my calculator out. It's basically Um, 2021. It basically is, so don't waste any more of the year because we've wasted seven percent of it already. But also, we're now into February, which means the Justice Conference is just a couple of weeks away. What are you both looking forward to about the Justice Conference? I think just, I know it's an easy answer, but there's going to be so many incredible people there. Um, And I think it's just going to be really cool just to hear their different thoughts and feelings on justice and how they work towards ending that, uh, ending justice, no, ending injustice. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, just being around them and getting to meet a few people. Do you know what I'm excited about? What? Is the food at Box Park. (laughs) Because we are having a lunch Hosted by We Are Tear Fund. Love it. So make sure you're there. If you're under 25, you can come. If you're over 25, you can't come. <laughs> but you can buy us lunch if you want anyways. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm really excited to just get together with people that are like, like-minded, like same kind of age group, doing this similar thing, and actually speak to inspiring people. So yeah, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I went last year and it was just a really unique space. So at Christian conferences, quite a lot, there's a justice stream or something. But this mm. was two days where you where you kind of delve into some of the mm. meaty theological stuff around race, around gender, around poverty, around subjects like human trafficking. All these kind of different areas you look at through through a biblical lens across the whole two days. And it comes together as, as one event. It's just really, really good, basically. So, yeah, I, I'd really recommend anyone coming along. Um, tickets are available at thejusticeconference.co.uk. Um, but also, if you head to weare.tearfund.org, you'll find out about our lunch and also a special discount for under 25s as well. But moving on to this episode of the podcast, we'll be hearing from Tear Fund's very own Ruth Valer. Ruth is an environmentalist, a theologian, a social activist, and she recently released a new book called Saying Yes to Life, which we're going to hear more about in a moment. But first, it's time for What in the World? So this is What in the World, where we discuss some of the big talking points from recent news stories. Kat, what are we talking about today? Well, today we're talking about a meeting that took place a couple of weeks ago called the Economic Forum Annual Meeting in Davos. Of course, the climate crisis was a huge part of the discussion. While people like Greta warned about the future of our climate, there were also the opposite with people like Trump warning us against climate. Prophets of doom, he called it. Um, But what do you guys think? How big is the problem? And do we actually have a climate crisis, climate emergency, or is it just something that doesn't exist? (laughs) Um, Which is quite, uh, you know... (laughs) Um, I think people are going to know our answer. (laughs) 
Well, it's funny because like, a few weeks ago we were hanging out with Laura, Let's Waste Laura, because yeah. we're all cool like that, we all know her. Um, Obviously. She, she was breaking down a bit about like how how bad it could get mm-hmm. by like if we don't reach certain targets by 2030. And I was sitting there and I was just like, wow, this is actually mm. a lot worse than I thought it was. Even having already like done how many podcasts have we talked about the climate how many articles have we talked about it but literally just having someone sit there and just talk to me like step by step and be like this is the problem i was i was pretty like wow we need, we should we should probably do something <laughs> soon so yeah and that's not to just be like a, a prophet of doom as one would maybe call me but to actually just say no i'm actually really hopeful that we can make a difference and we can mm. make a big change but i guess that does require like a huge shift away from fossil mm. fuels um and that is obviously a massive part of our world economy and just how our systems work is like based around fossil fuels but you know it's something that we need to do work in figuring out how do we move away from that how do we step into a new period of human existence i guess mm. i think those individual actions we can take that we talk about a lot um have kind of incremental gains um but are also about worship and us choosing to make a difference. Um, But when you look at some of the big cultural shifts in society that need to change, fossil fuels is probably the Mm. biggest one, isn't it? Mm. Um, And one that still our economy requires uh, to be a profitable economy. Mm. And so people simplify it pretty much down to profit or climate. And so I I think there is a a tide that's turning where people are starting to see that the future can exist with um, new technologies away from fossil fuels in a way that doesn't affect the economy. But we need to be uh, real and and say there are still industries that are dependent on it. We were talking about, obviously, Scotland. They have in the North Sea a lot of kind of oil refineries and Mm. and the oil is a, a big part of the Scottish economy. So until we can provide alternatives to that, there is this kind of detrimental effect of, of moving away from fossil fuels. Not that we shouldn't try, not that we, we shouldn't mm. do it, but it is, it's an interesting one, isn't it, that, that kind of conflict. Mm. What are some of the big, like, big changes that we, we could do? I think when we talk about fossil fuels, for me, it sounds so um, far away and distant. Like, wh- what can I do? Like, I'm not the one going and working with them or digging them out. Like, mm. what, 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 how can I um, make a difference in this area of fossil fuels? Well, I think, like, what's come out recently is that, yeah, of course, there's things that we can do individually in our own lives, but there's also the power of our voices, of standing together and saying, actually, enough is enough. And like Dan was saying, like, it's gotten to the point where we need to we mm. we need to find alternatives. So, you know, we're, pe- we're seeing people saying, actually, we're going to find a different route. So even in terms of, like, universities, there's an article that came out a few weeks ago, half of universities have divested away from fossil fuels. And we had an article up on the website, wearetearfund.org, which was about how ethical is your bank. Mm. And that was all talking about, actually, where does the mo- your money that you put in the bank, mm. where does that get invested into? And I think it was Barclays came out as one of the ones who had been actually the biggest funders of like fossil fuels and stuff mm. like that. So actually, as a consumer, if you bank there, you can say, you know what, I'm not actually happy with my money being used like that. Mm. So as a consumer, you have to listen to me. And if there's enough of us with a big enough voice, you're going to have to move away from that. That's so true. Like I never, I actually read this article and I was like, oh my gosh, like I never thought 
mm. about it. Like, you know that banks invest your money, but you almost forget because you think this money is my account and my mm. account says my money. But yeah, the reason the banks obviously survive is because they invest your money into things and then they get returns and then they can lend you money for mortgages and stuff like that. But I just never even thought that actually it's my money that's being used that actually is making me the person that's investing mm. into these companies. Mm-hmm. And one of the best things we can do is look beneath the surface to see where fossil fuels influence different things we're involved in. So you mentioned about universities. When I was at university, I didn't know that my university was investing in anything mm. like I didn't know that that was a, a way that they made money um, it makes sense because they get a lot of tuition but it was actually a student-led campaign where a group of students saw that so much was being invested into fossil fuels they said this isn't right we need to change it and they led, led a campaign across the country which has resulted in half of universities committing to divest from any fossil fuel investments that they've that they've made and so that that's amazing just from the awareness of the fact that it happens to students saying we're going to change this to universities mm. acknowledging and changing their behavior I think it's a good example of how can we apply that how can we do some research how can we look into how fossil fuels mm. is is driving different areas that we're in whether that's the kind of industry we work in or the place that we live in uh, or the university that we're studying in. You know, if you're a student listening to this, do you know if your university is one of those universities that's divesting or are they still committing to invest? You, you, you don't know, yeah. do you? But that's how you can influence some of these bigger kind of areas that will bring about kind of huge change. Yeah, it's exciting. I think, you know, we're 2020 now. And I feel, I'm feeling futuristic. I'm feeling like we're going to have a lot of 7% innovation. 7% of the way through let's, let's, If we're going to be scientific. But I do genuinely feel like, you know, there's, there, it's time. It's time for mm. us to, as a, as a species, to think about, okay, what are we doing? How can we, how can we do it differently? And I think that's actually quite an exciting thing. As much as it, it does feel like doom is on the way, it doesn't have mm. to be. I think the alternative is a lot more hopeful. Definitely. Uh, I think despite the naysayers, it's it's encouraging that there are people making big changes. And alongside all of the individual lifestyle choices we make, knowing that we can impact kind of bigger areas, bigger companies by what we do and the campaigns that, that we are part of, it'll really make a kind of positive step to reduce our impact on the planet. So one of the people leading the charge is Ruth Valerio. She's doing lots of campaigning, lots of advocacy work and raising profile in different areas. So let's listen into her conversation with Chris now. Hi, I'm Ruth Valerio and I'm Global Advocacy and Influencing Director at Tear Fund and that means that I oversee a group with a variety of teams in it that are all focused around advocating to governments and global institutions, influencing around theology and thought and generally supporting the work that Tear Fund does to help people lift themselves out of poverty. Yeah, we we literally just talked a moment ago just about how big a job title that sounds. <laughs> yeah, it's the um, only reason I took the job. I wanted a title like that. <laughs> so what is a, what does an average week look like for you? Well, there there is no average week really. <laughs> um, it's always a bit of a, a mix and a juggling act between internal stuff and external yeah. stuff. So internally, I 
I'm, I'll be in meetings all the time, mm. overseeing, looking at the different aspects of work that uh, that are sitting in my group. So I sometimes think, you know, the sport curling, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I'm sure you do regularly. Like my top sport of <laughs> <Yeah>. all time. <laughs> and I think of those people who are out the front with the brooms, sweeping the yeah. ice to make it flat, so that the curling puck or thing, whatever <laughs> it is can go as far as possible. Yeah. And I think sometimes my job here is to be sweeping the ice and making it clear so that yeah. the people in my teams who are doing the really useful and important work can get on and do that and make that work well. And then I spend a lot of my time externally as well, uh, speaking and teaching and also doing media things, really talking about our environmental mm. and poverty crisis to whoever wants to listen. Well, and it is like a big crisis at the moment, isn't it? I mean, uh, we've come to a point where scientists are warning about a tipping point in the climate. What, what's your kind of view on that? Is it something that we have reached? Are we crossing it? Yeah, we're, we're really facing a triple whammy mm. of climate breakdown, plastic pollution, so drowning mm. in plastic and mass species extinction mm. all of which is are linked to our human behavior and to yeah. the way that we live and it um it does seem to be increasingly becoming clear that there are certain tipping points that we have reached yeah. and we are entering a new world and a new situation mm. so we still need to act because the more we act now the less worse it will be in the future yeah, yeah but i don't think we can live anymore under the thought that 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 we can see nothing yeah. happen that you know that we can solve everything because we we are i mean i've been speaking on our climate crisis for more than 20 years wow. and when i look back i think of the things that i was saying back then as predictions mm. I realise are happening now, and yeah. that—that's really. I mean, that's sickening. Yeah. The the number of climate refugees, the increasing uh, extreme weather events, the breaking down of the coral yeah. reefs, extinction of species, things that are rising sea levels, poverty and famine because yeah. of because of increased heat uh, and drought, things that that I and many others much more clever than me have been talking about for years and saying yeah. this is what will happen, is happening now. Yeah. But the response isn't to say, oh, well, it's too late, yeah. because still what we do now will impact what happens in the future. So it's still really important that yeah. we take action now. Yeah, I kind of like the analogy. I've heard this analogy before, almost like a messy room. Like, if your room got really messy, you wouldn't just be like, oh, it's done now. Yeah. You'd be like, no, clean yeah, up. Yeah, still, still got to tidy up. Um, yeah. Like you said, you've been talking about this for a while. And, you know, for me as well, climate change was uh, a thing that I grew up like hearing about. Mm. Um, and so I think, I guess, for a lot of people who listen to this podcast, it was almost always kind of a given. But there, obviously, in the 20 years you've been talking about it, people have not been completely listening. What do you think has been stopping, like, the awareness of how serious this issue is? Well, it's really hard to know and hard to pinpoint it. But I think part of it is the just the size of the issue. It feels so huge. 
uh, how can little old me do something about mm. it? You know, someone someone else will sort it out. Mm. Governments will get it together. Big businesses will find the technology. Mm. You know, someone else will sort it out. But I, it's not something I can deal mm. with. I've got my own everyday concerns, mm. kind of thing. So I think I think that plays in the hugeness of the issue is hard mm. for us to deal with, and then often the distance of the issue. Yeah. So we think of it as something that impacts polar bears yeah. thousands of miles away and coral reefs yeah. thousands of miles away and people living in poverty thousands of miles away. Mm. And it, it's hard to see the, the direct result of how we live, the, the, mm. the direct impact of how we live on other people. Yeah. So if I drop a piece of litter... I can see the impact of yeah. that on the street right outside my house or wherever I've dropped it. Yeah. But if I consume a lot of carbon, if I consume a lot of resources that result in carbon emissions, it's a link yeah. that's much harder. It's less tangible, much harder for me to see. Yeah. And so that's another reason why it can be hard to grasp. Yeah. And then also because it does impact us and it does require a change. Yeah. We're living in a society that is absolutely rooted in fossil fuels and there are big implications for us as yeah. we get off them. And it might does mean me changing what I eat mm. and thinking about how I holiday and changing how often I fly and yeah. and doing things differently and we don't always like to think about that. No, for sure. It's definitely a challenge and definitely something that I'm continually like checking myself on mm. and being like, am I doing enough? Or not even, I get it. There's a part of it which is like, am I doing enough? But also, am I acting in a way that I think is how God would want me to act? Yeah. Like, am, I, am I taking care of creation? Am I standing with creation as I believe God would want me to? Yeah, I think that's really important because that helps with the that helplessness thought and the the thought that well there's no point me doing anything mm. because my neighbor's driving a 4 by 4 and mm. flying on holiday three times a year and Trump is doing this and Bolsonaro's <laughs> doing that and China's doing <laughs> yeah. you know so so what so what's the point and that's a very utilitarian understandable mm. but utilitarian approach mm. whereas actually the the question is what's the right thing for me to do as a christian mm. whether it has an impact or not and of course, we do want it to have an impact, and we know that when people act together, it does have an impact. Yeah. But even if it didn't, there's still that question: as a follower of Jesus, what's the right way for me to live? For sure, and this is something that you talk about in your new book, right? So you've got a book coming out. Well, it's, by the time this podcast comes out, it would have come out. It's called "Saying Yes to Life." Uh, do you want to talk a bit about that book, that title, and what that means? Yeah, so I'm really excited about this. This is the Archbishop of Canterbury's Lent book. Mm -hmm. Never would have dreamt that I would end up <laughs> writing that. So real privilege to write that for the Archbishop. And the title comes from a poem that I use in the book that starts with the line, to plant a tree is to say yes to life. Mm -hmm. And I just love that. I love that positivity. And when we think of Lent, we might think of Lent as a, a time no. of negativity. <laughs> yeah. Stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not going to have this. I'm not going to have that. <laughs> so I love the idea of a Lent book that was really positive. Mm. And what I do in the book is I draw on the days of creation in Genesis 1 
and each chapter looks at one of uh, looks at what was made on that mm. day uh, in inverted commas uh, what was made on that day mm. in genesis 1 and i relate the themes of light water land seasons other creatures humankind and so on to matters of environmental and ethical and social concern yeah. so i'm so the book is based on genesis 1 and the creation narrative and of course, what we see in Genesis one is that God says yes to yeah. life. He speaks, and the world comes into existence. Mm. So it's partly a reflection on God as Creator mm-hmm. saying yes to life, but then also the call to us, similarly in how we live, yeah. to be living in a way that says yes to life, to the life of other people, and to the life of His wider creation. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because it's definitely a choice. And I think it, that it's funny that you're using Genesis because it is something that goes right back to you know that that original command from God. Mm. You know, do not eat from the do not eat fruit from this tree, and you can choose to or not. Yeah. It's up to you. And I think there's a, is it I think in Exodus or Deuteronomy there's a bit where uh, God's talking about you know like, there are two ways set yeah, before you: right. life or death. Yeah. Choose life. It's funny that we need to be told to choose life. You think we yes. just know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. The people they're standing on the on the edge of of going into the promised Mm. land and and god says to his people you've got two ways and and actually it's in that context that um the verse that jesus picks up on about Mm. you always having the poor among you is in that and if you look at the wider context of the the passage that jesus is drawing on Mm. it's if you don't follow me and if you don't follow my commands you there will always be poor people Mm. but actually if we do follow God and if we follow this God of justice and God of equality, then there shouldn't be poor people. That would be the result. But because we don't follow him and we put ourselves first. So, so there are always poor people among us. That's really interesting because I think a lot of the times when I've heard that passage, it's kind of talked about as, you know, God says there's always going to be poor people. Yeah, it's a bit fatalistic, isn't it? Yeah, but that's completely the wrong wrong way of looking at it. I mean, I guess I guess this is like partly like your theology background as well, coming into the work that you do. Mm. How do we approach the Bible in a way that is looking at the bigger picture rather than extracting something out of context? Yeah, I think it's really helpful for us to see that the Bible is a story. Mm. It's not a random collection of different books mm. just put together. It's a story that starts in Genesis mm. and goes through with the the calling of the people of Israel and and all yeah. the way through to Jesus and the early church and when we see the bible as a story then that helps us to think through where do particular verses or particular passages fit within that story mm. rather than just pulling pulling verses out randomly yeah. because they might fit us or they might not yeah. and when we look at the story we see that it is all about a God who created a world and people to look after that world and created us to be in relationships. Mm. But those relationships went wrong Mm. and they went wrong between us and God, uh, between us and other people and between us and the wider natural world. Mm. And so the story of that we see in the Bible 
is the story of God working to put those relationships back to rights. Mm. And ultimately, he does that through Jesus. And then the church is called to continue that ministry of reconciliation, yeah. that calling of of good relationships. And a full understanding of the gospel is that it's not only about our relationship with God, though that's obviously absolutely central, yeah. But it's also about our relationship with other people mm. and our relationship with the wider natural world. Yeah. If, if people want to look at that a little bit more, I've written a book called Just Living, Faith and Community in an mm. Age of Consumerism. And the introduction unpacks that more. So that yeah. would be a good place for people to, if they want to think about that a bit more. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and you know you talked a bit about uh, you know like talking about our relationship with other people as well in your new book saying yes to life you have like voices from different people around the world was that like an intentional thing of saying you know I want to make sure that relationship is being like almost like a sign of being reconciled through the book yeah and the the issues that we that we see and that are tackled in the book are so huge and are so global and and I really didn't want this to be a book that was just written by a white Western woman. Mm. But I wanted it to be a book that drew on the voices of, of people from all around the world. So it draws on theological thinking mm. from from all different corners of the world. I work really hard to make sure I've got theological voices from mm. Asia, from Africa, from from the Americas yeah. uh, and particular particularly indigenous thinking as well because yeah. there's so much that we can learn from indigenous communities and sure. from their traditions and their thinking. And then also drawing around the world on examples of churches and Christians who are responding and who mm. are taking action. And there are wonderful stories of hope coming from from all around the yeah. world maybe one that really struck me was from was in in, in Ethiopia with the Ethiopian Orthodox Church mm-hmm. Ethiopia has seen horrendous deforestation like 99% deforestation wow. i mean just so just yeah terrible but the Ethiopian Orthodox Church of uh, around the country and particularly in the rural areas have always protected their surrounding forests because mm. they recognize their importance and they use them as burial sites and places of reflection and mm. so on so you get these incredible aerial views of just a, a brown country yeah. and then these little circles of green and um, a, an environmentalist was doing some work there and and he said in Ethiopia if you look for the green, you will find a church in the middle of it. Wow. And I thought that was such a wonderful really thing. Amazing, you look yeah. for the forest and there'll be a church in the middle of it because the church has been preserving it mm. and recognises the value of the of the trees that are around them. Yeah. So there are loads of stories like that all around the world. Definitely. And it's interesting because I think, you know, in terms of finding solutions, in terms of finding even like ideologies of how we live in this world, I think in the West we're quite separated from creation at least we've tried to separate mm. ourselves as much as possible it seems you know right now we're in a very gray room talking, yeah. <laughs> talking to each other um, there's, yeah. air, there's like aircon and stuff and so i feel like out here in the west we've kind of like separated ourselves as seeing our, as being mm. like we do what we want and we use what we want the world will get on with it whereas yeah. i feel like you said indigenous cultures i feel like there's more of like a a whole ecosystem of working together with the with creation with animals with 
everything that we use. Yeah, really understanding that we are a part of the natural world. Mm. We're connected. Uh, Even the way we talk about the environment is harmful Mm. because the environment is something separate to (laughs) ourselves, whereas we are a part of that whole community of creation. I'm often struck by the the Hebrew of Adam, when God created Mm. Adam, the Hebrew for ground is Adama. Mm. So Adam is a play on words. The, the first, that final species that's created yeah. is created as an, an earth creature. Yeah. We are earthy ones. We are earth creatures. We are created yeah, you know, from the dust of the ground and to the dust we will return. Yeah. So we have that real intimate connection with mm. the wider natural world. Now, let's be real about this and not romantic. Mm-hmm. I still want to live in a house. Mm-hmm, uh, it's pretty cold outside <laughs> and I don't want to live outside. <laughs> and I'm very thankful. At least not anyway. <laughs> yeah, very thankful for um, things that protect me from the cold and what have you. Yeah. But there's a call on me as well to find ways in my everyday living to connect with the natural mm. world. It might just be going out for a walk or doing yeah. some gardening or doing something that reminds me that I am a part of creation. Yeah. And there are so many studies that, link our connection with the natural world to our well-being Mm. as well and that show that our levels of stress and our levels of mental health are well our levels of stress go down our levels of mental health go up when we find ways to connect with what's around us yeah it's really interesting because I recently moved into a flat and it's it's funny because you know most of the if I'm not like out I'm in Mm. just like a big building yeah. And I'm very separate to everything else. And, yeah. you know, I've heard people talking about, like, even, like, the idea of, you know, feeling the grass beneath your feet. Mm. I don't know where I'd do that. <laughs> I'd have to go to a park somewhere. Go to a park, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. but again, like, the UK, maybe not not in the yeah, winter. Yeah, in the summer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. take your shoes off. <laughs> um, I think uh, it's really interesting the point that you've got to in terms of, like, you know, this is not your first book. You've done it. How many books have you written um, at this point? Well, I've done a whole range of Bible studies sort of booklets. This is my yeah. third third yeah. main book. This is, like, your yeah. third, like, proper, like, book release. How did you really kind of get here? What even mm. drew you to <laughs> to kind of step in this direction in the first place? Yeah, God, really. When I look back, I never intended, you know, mm. if I'd have done a career path, it wouldn't have been this one. So I can only really think that it was God who steered me. I had my eyes open to environmental issues when I was at university from a Christian perspective. Mm. I read a little book that for the first time opened my eyes and made me realise that being a Christian, the part of being a Christian was about taking care of of the whole world Mm. as well as the people that, that live in it. And that just set me off on a path, really. After university, I got a job at the Evangelical Alliance. I was mm-hmm. research assistant to the director general and somehow began speaking and writing both on issues of poverty and on wider environmental breakdown. Yeah. Um, from that, kind of became known as someone in the church who was specifically thinking about that. Mm. And at that time, there were very, very few people in the church. Mm. Uh, We look at it now. The situation is so different to how it was 25 years ago. Really, to be a Christian and to be concerned for the wider natural world was seen as a very strange thing and a real fringe for a few 
green weirdos <laughs> in the corner and and I was quite laughed at and mm. it, you know but there were some seeds there and there were some peoples and it gradually began to grow mm. and I got involved with an organization called Arosha which is a mm. Christian conservation charity and through them developed something called Eco Church mm. a, res- a resource really practical resource for churches and over the years, things started to change. Yeah. I think through the dedication and bloody-mindedness <laughs> of a number of us who just kept pushing away and, mm. and preaching away and saying, this is important, this is important, this yeah. is important. And the although we've still got a long way to go, the, the culture has changed. Yeah. And so through that time, I wrote a couple of other books. One um, was based on my PhD, thinking about consumerism and being mm. a Christian. And then the other, Ellie's for Lifestyle, a really practical look at mm. how do we, what practically can we do to live in ways that, that take care of this world and of all yeah. of its inhabitants. And that book actually became became a bit of a bestseller. So that kind of helped people get to know about me and yeah and it just it grew I mean honestly I it's it, it's God when I yeah. look back awesome. <laughs> it wasn't intended at all. <laughs> that, that's really encouraging because I think a lot of a lot of people listening and for myself you know, I remember being at well before even going to uni like leaving leaving college and being like what am I doing in my life? What mm. happens next? And having kind of like passions and things that I cared about, but not really knowing yeah. how those things will all connect to each other. Yeah. And I do think that if we're if we're moving, that God can direct us mm. and to be really open to him. Yeah. And I know so many people whose career paths just haven't been mapped out. Yeah. But if you're, I don't want to say this simplistically, but to encourage people who are listening to be open to God and to be walking really closely with him. And yeah. and my experience was that God just brought about, would bring about one opportunity mm. that would lead to a whole range of other things that I never expected. Yeah. And so it's being open to those things and, and open to God leading yeah. us. What do you think you'd be doing if it wasn't this? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got no idea. When... Uh, in my when I was at secondary school and I went to see a careers advisor. Classic. We love, yeah. we love careers advisors. <laughs> she said to me, she thought I was best suited to being a careers advisor. <laughs> what kind of useless advice was that? So I think I was maybe thinking about going to HR or something, yeah. but really I really I didn't know. Yeah. And actually I got into university to do history. Not with any view to anything, but yeah. just because I was good at it. And so I got into history to do that. And then while before I went there, someone said to me, oh, you might find theology interesting. And I'd hated RE. I dropped it the first mm. possible opportunity. That was like me as well. <laughs> I had a horrible <laughs> RE teacher. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. So I thought, theology, oh, my goodness, that sounds so boring. I wouldn't, don't want to do that. But out of respect for the person who suggested it, I had a look at the curriculum. Mm-hmm. I read it and thought, wow, this looks fascinating. So even though I hadn't even done RE at GCSE, I contacted the university and said, could I change the theology? Mm. And so I did. And that was really what started it. And so then after that, when I was working at the EA, I did that part-time and did a theology MA Mm part-time. And it kind of grew from that. So just from that one nudge, 
to change from doing history to theology has developed so much. It's amazing. So like you said, yeah, just be open because you never know what's going to come across your way or what you have to grab a hold of. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Yeah, and go with your passion. Don't go with what you think you ought to do. Mm. And really importantly, don't go with where you think the money is. Don't think, oh, this will earn me money, so I'm going to do it. Don't, don't. That's not your focus mm. in life. Go with the passions, the interests, the sure. concerns that God has put on your heart. For sure. And in speaking about what God's put on your heart, what do you think God wants to put on the church's heart now? Um, you spoke a bit about earlier about you know how different it was 25 years ago. Mm. If there was like one or two or three things that you think like the church really needs to like get a hold of, for the next few years, what what would that, some of those things be? Well, I wouldn't want it to lose its focus on evangelism and mm. worship and prayer and that deep rootedness in God mm. and then finding ways of sharing that with other people. So I absolutely wouldn't want to move the church away from that. Yeah. But would encourage, I would love to see the church broadening out from that mm-hmm. and seeing that as part of that, we also need to be really engaged with our world and with the yeah. problems that are there, with people living in poverty in this country and and in other countries, mm-hmm. engaged with issues around plastic pollution and species extinction and climate breakdown. Mm. You know, we have been created as that final species, created to look after the rest of what God has made. Yeah. And that means people as well as yeah. the wider natural world. And And I think we fail in our calling we fail in what it means to be human let alone that we fail in what it means to be christian Mm. if we don't have those things as an integral part of our lives as individuals and as churches that's a great challenge i love that i really do love that Um, thank you so much for chatting with us thank you it's Um, been great you've got an event for your book at Southwark cathedral on february 20th Uh, you're going to be talking a bit about the book what kind of things can we look forward to there Yeah, I'm going to look at some of the themes in the book uh, reflecting on God as creator, what that means. I think we we focus a lot on God as saviour, which Mm. is totally right, but we forget that the first thing is that God is creator. Mm. So what, what does that mean for God to be creator? And then looking at this wonderful world that we live in, but recognising that it's a world of wounds. Mm. And so thinking about what's the part that we have to play as as individuals and as Christians, and all based on Genesis 1. So ultimately, it's a reflection on Genesis 1. Yeah, that sounds great. If people want to find you online, where can we we find you? Yeah, very easily findable. I have a website, and if people go on there, um, just... Google or put into your search engine Ecosia yeah. ho- hopefully ruthvalerio.net or just ruthvalerio and people will find me and I've got on there they'll find a, a speaking calendar so as well as Southwark Cathedral I'm doing a whole range of different things leading up to Easter cool. so people in other parts of the country if they want to see if I'm speaking somewhere else and come along that would be great and I'm on you know Twitter and all the usual social media yeah. things so it'd be great to see people there it was great listening in on Chris's conversation with Ruth. Guys, what did you take away from it? Yeah, I think it's really interesting hearing from Ruth's perspective, having worked on this for so long, that people are still not like 
appreciating or understanding the message or the, the seriousness of the climate emergency. But I think, like she said, you know, sometimes it's just such a big thing, it feels quite distant that, you know, you don't want to actually feel like you have to respond to it because although stuff is happening in the world that is proving climate change to be real, you know, it doesn't necessarily always happen on our doorstep. But I think our job as people is to be aware of what's happening around the world, be aware of what can happen next as well. I think it's really important listening to uh, your conversation with Ruth, Chris. Is, um, it, it's quite easy for us to hear that and then just say, yeah, we're committed to this, we're going to do something, but then not take action straight away. Um, if, if some of what we know to be true um, is, is the case, then that should spur us to action right now. Um, yeah. And the actions that we take today and tomorrow will have a, a really positive impact. But if we let this thing be too big and be, be too disconnected from it, like you say, then that can have a worse further down the line so what what actions can we be taking what research can we be doing what can we be looking into now today that can have um, have a greater impact in the future yeah. I loved her encouragement to the church um, I like that you know she's not saying this is what you know you take your focus off what you're doing now because everything that the church is doing now is important but actually is encouraging churches to broaden their, their focus and expand their engagement with the world and actually focusing on extreme poverty, the issue of plastic and the issue of climate and the crisis. And I love this quote where she said, you know, if we don't focus on these things and we don't engage with it and engage with the world, we don't just fail as Christians, we actually fail as being um, human beings because that's what we've been created for, is actually to connect and engage with the world. So yeah, that really like spoke to me and, and kind of almost challenged me is that actually, if we don't focus on it, then what are we doing? That's a really good note to, to end on. So thanks everyone for listening to this episode. We'll be back again with a new episode on the 17th of February. If you like what you heard today, make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram at We Are Tear Fund.